while I catch my breath. 1 Thessalonians. I brought everything but my notes. You thought you were going to get off easy. But I found them. (laughs) 1 Thessalonians. I know it's still where I left it. There we go. Now we're ready. This morning we're going to begin a new series of messages on 1 Thessalonians called Enduring Hope. And uh, don't you like that nice uh, graphic? My daughter made that for us and so I'm thankful for her because I would not be able to even come close to doing something like that. But today I want to take you on a little trip through 1 Thessalonians, through all five chapters. Don't get too excited because I'm going to touch the high points. And then we're going to come back over the next several weeks and talk about the enduring hope we have in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Two men are stranded on a desert island. They got out there and they got, they got shipwrecked. They got stranded out there. And one of the guys was just panicking. He says, we're doomed. We're going to die out here. Nobody's ever going to know. And the other guy said, relax. It's okay. He said, what do you mean relax? It's okay. We're out here all by ourselves. There's nobody ever going to find us out here. And he said, listen, I make over a million dollars a year. And I tithe to my church. My preacher will find me. Don't worry about it. Might be some truth in that, but anyway, you know, there's a common misconception about church and church people. I kind of think the people on the outside looking in think that we think that perhaps they think about us that we have it all together or that, uh, you know, we live in a Pollyanna world where nothing ever goes wrong. And then, you know, the, to make matters worse, sometimes people who go to church every Sunday try to act like everything is always okay. So therefore, we don't really deal in realities and we're not very transparent with one another when we're going through a problem because after all we're supposed to be all smiles and giggles and grins right and so you don't really deal in harsh realities of life and so we kind of perpetuate that and we sometimes we're just not very good at being open and transparent with one another which is a lot of times why we don't like to do studies where we have to discuss things because you know that's kind of just how it is we'd rather kind of keep things covered up and so uh, when that happens you know, it's not reality, is it? We know that Christians are no different as far as life experiences than most people who are not Christians. Christians have difficulties, right? You go through hard times. Christians come down with terminal illnesses. Christians lose family members. Christians go through tragedies. All these things happen to Christian people. And so when you look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, it helps us to understand how we have hope in the midst of the difficulties of life Because you and I have had a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ, we have something, somebody who can help us that people without Him do not have. Therefore, we can find hope, but not only hope, but hope that endures and lasts and is eternal hope. And that's what we're going to look at in 1 Thessalonians. Paul understood that. He understood that. If you read the life of Paul, you would know that he certainly understood trials and tribulations. He went through so many of them. Uh, Not only physically, a lot of, you know, being beaten and stoned and all those sort of things, being shipwrecked, but also his concern for the churches and the people and how he loved them and he poured his heart and his life into them. And there was just always something going on with Paul. But listen to this. One commentator put it this way. The pattern emerging from Paul's ministry was that whether he experienced a revival or a riot, he remained absolutely committed to his calling. 
So whether he was beaten and imprisoned in Philippi, which he was, or chased and pursued in Thessalonica, which he was, or ridiculed and mocked in Athens, which he was, Paul affirmed without hesitation that he was not ashamed of the gospel. And you know, I think God wants to build that into each one of our lives. Whatever we go through, whatever difficulty it may be, whether we're beaten or stoned or, or, or we go through some difficult thing that we don't understand, that we still can stand up and say with conviction, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my Lord Jesus Christ. I have that conviction, and it's a heavy and strong and enduring conviction. Paul was a man of enduring hope. If you look in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians in verse 3, he says that he is constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Steadfastness means perseverance or endurance. And that's where we're going to get our theme for this book of 1 Thessalonians, of enduring hope. How can we be people of enduring hope? We can be people of enduring hope when we are chosen by God. Look at chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. God has chosen us. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The Holy Spirit came to that place called Thessalonica. The Spirit of God came. You see, it seems like where Paul went, the Spirit went ahead of him and convicted people's hearts. I could preach, anybody can preach all day long, but unless the Spirit comes and convicts and does His work, it's really fruitless, isn't it? So we really need to invite the Spirit of God to come and, and really work in our hearts and our lives daily. And especially, what can you pray for the services every week before you come into worship? You can pray that the Holy Spirit will be real to us and would bring conviction and comfort and strength and whatever we need. But that the Spirit would be evident. And so the Spirit came, and when He came, they realized that they had a God who loved them, that, there was, uh, that they had been chosen by God. There was a young man who was a college senior. He was concerned about his future, so he went to his guidance counselor. And he, he went through a series of tests to see about his future and what his potential would be. He went back to see the counselor, and the counselor said to him, he was anxious to get his report about what his future held. And here's what the counselor said. The results of your test indicate that you should seek employment with a company where your father has a very influential position. You know, as Christians, we're in a position that our father is very influential, isn't he? When you think about, when you think about God, what do you think about him? What is your image of God? Some people think that there is no such thing as God, that he's just a fairy tale. He's made up by people who hope he's there. Some people think, look at God as distant, like he's way out there and we're way down here and we don't make any connection. Some people look at God as someone who is ready to take his big fist and pound us as soon as we make a mistake. But what does the New Testament talk about God? What does it say about God? When Jesus spoke of God, he, talk, he spoke of God as Father. As a matter of fact, the first time you ever hear Jesus say anything, it's in Luke when he gets when he stays behind, when his parents have gone up to the feast, and he stays behind and he's talking to the people in the temple, to the, to the big shots in the temple. They get out of town, they look around, and they say, where's Jesus? You know, they got this big caravan of people, they don't know where he is, he's just a kid that's run off. They go back, and he's sitting down and talking, and they scold him for it. And You remember what he said? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? And he spoke of God as his father. It was a revolutionary thing. People didn't do that, really, until it came 
uh, to Jesus. And he began to present God as Father. What did he tell us when he said, pray then in this way? He said, here's how you pray, and you pray our Father who is in heaven. And he taught us to approach the God of the universe who created heaven and earth, who flung the stars into their places, who has the power to give and take away, who, has, who is almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing. He is the God of heaven and earth. And he says, I want you to address him as your Father. And by the way, the scripture says that Jesus is our brother. And we share, uh, we share that privilege of calling God our Father. Now, I had a professor one time at the seminary. He said, yes, Jesus is your brother. But remember, he's your high and holy brother. But the fact is, he's called us and, and instructed us to call God our Father. So he said, when you pray, say our Father. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, pouring out his heart to God and being in such agony, you remember what he said? Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. And the final words that Jesus spoke from the cross as he hung there suspended between heaven and earth for your sins and mine were, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So from the time he's born until the time he gives us life, he presents God to us as a God who loves us like a father, like a good father loves his children. I know that there are bad fathers in our world, but God is a good father and he loves his children. And there's something very special about that to know that we're chosen. There's, there's a couple of things that I want you to notice here. First of all, when it comes to God's love and us understanding that, God is always the one who initiates it. Now, we're not going to talk about election this morning or the doctrine of election or how you get chosen and all those sorts of things. But the fact is that when you see someone get saved, you'll know God was at work. It is God who reaches down and convicts us. It is God who does the choosing. It is God who, who convicts us of our sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. And, you know, that's what Jesus said in, in John chapter 16. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and the judgment of to come. Jesus said, no man can come to the Father unless he's drawn and no woman. So somehow, strangely, when I was a little boy, I was drawn toward God. And I don't know how it happened in your life, but I know one thing. It didn't happen until the Spirit began to draw you. And then when that happened, you thought, I got to get there. I got to get to Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. I got to get there now. I don't have time to waste. And so when, when we know that we're chosen by the love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we can have a sense of enduring hope no matter what happens in our lives. But not only is it initiated by Him, but the love of God makes us special. Listen to this. God doesn't love us because we're special. Instead, we become special because He loves us. You're not special and neither am I. We're all the same. We're all different, right? We're all sinners like I told the kids. But somehow God through looking through the lens of love and looking through the power of the cross, looks at us with love. And when we come into his family, we become very special. We become chosen. And therefore, whatever I go through, whether my emotions are high or low, whether I feel empty or full, I can know that God has chosen me somehow, someway, by his grace and in his love, that he is my father and I am his child. And in that, there is enduring hope. When you know that, you can have enduring hope. But then secondly, we can have enduring hope when we're loved through our growing pains. Did you ever have growing pains? You remember your parents telling you that when you, when you were a kid and you told them something was hurting and they'd say, oh, it's just growing pains. Well, 
Look at chapter 2 with me in verse 8. It says that in verse 7, look at verse 7. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. And that word there, affection, is the only place that's used in the New Testament. It's, it's a word that's almost indefinable. It's something that, you know, as a parent-child relationship, a mother-child relationship that is so special, so deep, and so personal that there's really not words for it. It's just something that's there, and it's wonderful. Paul said, We had so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. And so, Paul loved them through their growing pains. You know, they were new Christians. Paul came to Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a huge city, over 200,000 people. It was, a, uh, it was a coastal city. There was a lot of traffic coming in there, ship traffic. And then there was also a major road that came through there, Roman road that came in. And so it was a very metropolitan. There's all kinds of religions, all kinds of gods. And in the midst of all of that, those Thessalonian people had come to know Christ. And that is brand new. There wasn't a church on every block. They were the first church, first block, first house, whatever they met in. But Paul said, I, I tenderly nursed you. I, I wanted you to grow in your faith. And I knew you were going to have growing pains because the fact is that difficulties were going to come to them. He knew that. And so he said, like a mom. And, you know, when you're a new mom, uh, and, and again, a good mom, you, you're the only one who can really take care of that child. You're the one that can nurse that child. That's, that's the child that you hold not only... Uh, close to your body but you hold them in your heart and in your mind and they're special to you that's not someone that you want to give up that is not someone that you would leave abandoned that's not that's not a person that you would not help to go through their growing pains I remember when I was a little boy whenever I was going through a sickness or an illness it was always my mother it was always my now it wasn't that my dad didn't care but you know how it is guys and girls it's your mom who really takes care of you most of the time when you got sick how many of you remember mentholatum? Y'all remember that? Mentholatum, yeah, you get a cold, and mom used to come down in there and grease me up with that stuff. Then she'd take her finger and stick it up my nose, you know, it was just very exciting. A, a godly woman. Anyway, and just helped me to get better. But she was there for me. And I'll never forget, you know, it wasn't so much the mentholatum, and I can still smell it, can't you? I mean, it just takes a little to go a long way. It would unplug you, it would set you free, that's for sure. But anyway, uh, but to know that she loved me, that she cared, that, you know, those moments I'll never, ever forget. I, I, I was laying, uh, when I was a little boy, I was laying in the bed with her one night, and we were going through a difficult time. And I remember her, she didn't know I was listening, she thought I was asleep. My eyes were closed, and she was praying and asking God to help us through these things we were going through. So, you know, those are special memories for me. And so when Paul says, I love you like a mom, like a nursing mom, you become so dear to me, so special to me, and I just want you to know that. And that's the way God loves us. And, and isn't it good to know that you have some people like that in your life? That, you know, one of the things you can pray for your pastor is that he would love you, not only me, but all pastors, that they would love their people the way Paul is talking about here. That, he, he, that the pastor would want to love people that would want to see them grow would want to be there for them through ups and downs and through the growing pains of life because we all go through that and so I can have enduring hope when I know somebody loves me 
And they're going to be there for me. And there's a depth of love and feeling. Now there may be a time in life when they have to come and tell me that I'm full of beans. And my mom did that plenty. But I'm thankful for love like that, aren't you? So we can have enduring hope when we know someone loves us like that. And then and the third thing is we can have enduring hope when we're standing firm in our faith. Look at chapter 3 and uh, verse 3. Um, Paul is talking about here how he longed to see them and he wanted to come to them, but he, he just, you know, he had other things that were going on, so he sent Timothy. And in verse 3, it says, So that no one be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Paul says right there in black and white that they were destined for afflictions. Is that, is that real life? Does the Bible not talk about real life? Of course it does. We're all destined for our afflictions. And so Paul said, you were destined for this, but there's good news, he says. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're standing firm. In verse 8, he says, in verse 7, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith, for now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. The storms were coming. They were being beaten on. And we're going to get into that as we go through the book. But, you know, the storms that Jesus talked about, about the, the rains coming and the wind blowing and, and, and beating against our houses. The storms were coming like that. But he said, Paul said, you know, he's like that mom. He's saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. You're standing firm. I'm so glad to hear that you're standing firm in your faith. You've got a rock. You've got a place to stand on. And that's your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They really did love God. You see, how do we pass the test of our love for God? You can't pass the test of love, whether it's God or a person or something else, unless you go through adversity, can you? You never really know. I mean, it's easy as long as everything's going along and the waves don't get up and the storms don't come. But when the afflictions come and the difficulty comes and then you're still standing, then there is some proof of your love and your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and to those that you love. And so he says, when you're standing firm in the midst of the difficulties, you can, it is obvious that you have enduring hope. Many of you have heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor during World War II and during Hitler's regime. And it was, a, it was a bad thing to be a pastor at that time. But he was someone who stood firm. I want to share with you a little bit of his story this morning. Uh, it, during that time, he started a seminary to train pastors for what they called the Confessing Church. The church that confessed the Lord Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. It was not popular during that time. But he started this seminary. And the seminary was outlawed in 1935 and disbanded by force in 1937. With his public activities highly restricted by the government, he became a part of the underground resistance movements with other members of this confessing church. Well, the heat became hotter and hotter upon him. And, and finally, he left to come to the States. He came over to the United States to America. And he went on a lecture tour around the States. But he prayed and he thought and he thought, I've got to go back. I've got to go back because when the church is rebuilt and when things get right over there, I can't, I can't have credibility if I don't go back and suffer with my brothers and sisters in Christ. So he went back. He went back to Germany. And after he went back in 1939, in 1940, the government said, you can't preach anymore. No more preaching. In 1941, 
he was forbidden to print or publish any more of his writings. In 1943, he was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to a German prison. On April 8th of 1945, at the age of 39, he was hanged because of his faith. But shortly before his died, he died, he was leading the fellow prisoners in worship and in praise. And just about the time they got through, the officers of the prison came in and they said, Bonhoeffer, come with us. And all the prisoners around him knew what was going on and what that meant. And as he left the room, he turned to one of his friends and he said, This is the end, but for me, it's the beginning of life. And he walked down that corridor into that hangman's noose with enduring hope in his heart. Because he knew that whether he lived or he died, as Paul said, he belonged to Jesus. And he was able to stand firm in his faith. On April 8th of 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer entered eternity with a faith that had lasted to the very end. You can have enduring hope if you know that you've got a faith that will last to the end. Do you have that kind of faith? He did. And God wants us to as well. Well, you can have enduring hope. The fourth way is when our love is excelling, when it's becoming even greater. Look with me in uh, chapter 4 in verse 9. Look at chapter 4 verse 9. It says, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. What in the world does that mean? I want you to excel still more. I know you love each other. And I know not only do you love each other, you love all the brethren. And, you know, can that be said of us? That we love all the brethren that... That we excel still more. That God wants us to find new ways to, to up our game. To reach new heights of love. How in the world does that happen? Well, if you go back to verse 8, you see how it happens. Look at verse 8. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Ah, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who prompts us to love. Not just to love, but to excel still more. To reach a new height, to reach a new level, to go the second mile, to do whatever it takes to love brothers and sisters in Christ. In that final night with his disciples, Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Spirit to, to you. And when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll help you understand. He'll be your instructor. And he will help you to remember and call to mind what I've taught you. And so how would they excel still more in their love? By the Holy Spirit, just like you and, you and me. We excel more in our love by the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit lives within us to open the eyes of our hearts to what is the meaning of these words in this precious book? How do I understand it? How do I apply it? But the Holy Spirit not only empowers us to be His witnesses, but the Holy Spirit instructs us and teaches us. And as we read John 13... And we read where Jesus said, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And the Holy Spirit prompts us, maybe when a brother or sister has upset us, or maybe when someone has offended us. And yet, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the Holy Spirit is such a teacher, isn't He? Because He'll come to us and He'll say, Do you love them? 
Did he ever do that to you and you just get irritated with him? Because you're kind of enjoying being irritated with somebody else. And uh, I've, I've had that happen to me. I've been upset with somebody. Confession is good for the soul. I've been upset with somebody, kind of enjoying it. I've even talked about somebody to somebody else. I am so, I'm so ashamed of myself, but it happens. And you know what? The Holy Spirit always seems to say to me when I'm upset with somebody or somebody's messing up. He always says, do you love them? And then it puts things in a whole different perspective. And I have to stop. (laughs) I remember a story that uh, Jack Hayford told one time about Paul and Jan Crouch. Do you all remember Paul and Jan that were on the old TBN? Uh, She had this purple hair and You may be fans of hers. If you are, please don't be offended by this. But, you know, they were just, they're really, uh, you know, very showy. And, you know, they were always, you know, know, money was a big, big part of what they did. And without slamming them, which I just talked about. But I remember Jack Hayford was a pastor out in California. And he said he came in one day and he turned on the TV and there was Paul and Jan. And he said, he looked at that and he just went, Oh, Lord. And he said, at that moment, the Lord convicted him and he said, you don't like the way I made them, do you? Ever since I heard that sermon, it's helped me to put things in a different perspective. You see, God made you and he made me and he made us all different. And even though I may not like the way he made you or you may not like the way he made me. It's not optional about whether we love one another. As a matter of fact, not only are we to love any more one another, we're supposed to excel still more in that. So that's conviction, isn't it? But it's good because you see, if God convicts me about that when maybe you've messed up and I need to show you love, then it'll be reciprocal when I've messed up and I need somebody to show me love. And that's good news. You know, we can endure, have enduring hope when our love excels still more. Paul didn't need to teach these Christians about love because they were already loving, but he said, I want you to do it even better. There's a sense of enduring hope when we love others practically. How can you love somebody practically this week? I don't know if you can write them a note or give them a call or take them a meal or maybe somebody you've been upset with that maybe God says to you, do you love them? I've also had people come to me and say, you know, I'm really upset with those. And they just wanted to write somebody off. And then I asked them the question, because God asked me the question, do you love them? And then they look at me like, I hate you too. So, you know, it's a question we all have to answer. But there's one more thing I want you to see as we go through this wonderful book of First Thessalonians. How can we have enduring hope? We have enduring hope when our focus is on Jesus. Jesus is coming. You believe that? He's coming. He's coming again. I know He is. I mean, everything in the Scripture that God has promised has come true to this point. So why in the world would God stop now? I know He's coming. As a matter of fact, if you read through, <clears throat> pardon me, every chapter of 1 Thessalonians says something about the second coming of our Lord. So look at chapter 5 with me. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Verse 2. It says that, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come. How? 
just like a thief in the night. Just like a thief in the night. Look at verse 3. It says, for this is the, I'm sorry, in verse 3, while they are saying peace and safety, does that sound like our world? When destruct, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now you think about that verse with me for a minute. This is, this is just a bonus here. This isn't even in the notes, but this is such good stuff. Peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. Now, <clears throat> I was in the room for all three of my children to be born. Once the process starts, it's hard to stop. And there's no escaping. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I can't go into all the details, but I was supposed to be there, and I was going to be there. Uh, Denise had back labor with our first child, and so I had to rub her back with a, a wet rag. And it would get warm, and I'd have to go wet it again and do it again. And, and I, I said to her one time, do you want me to re-wet it? She said, yes, but hurry up. You know, labor pains, labor pains. There is a truth in that verse that we all need to remember. Once the labor pains start, you can't go back. And it's painful. I've never given birth. Thank God. Only, only God only gave women the strength to go through that. And most of us men are really happy. But once the labor pains start, you can't go back. And so the choice for us is, do we want to endure the pain and the suffering of being forever banished from the kingdom of God? Or do we want the one who's already taken the pain and suffering for us, do we want to put our faith and hope in Him so that because of His enduring the cross, you and I have access to the Father and we have access into heaven? You can't stop it. Once it comes, it's going to be too late. So today, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you need to do it today. You don't know what's going to happen. You could walk out the door today. Matter of fact, you could be gone before the service is over with. It's happened before. I don't think it's happened here, thankfully, but don't let me scare you too much, but it's happened. I did hear about one guy that, you know, uh, he had a heart attack in the middle of the service, and they called the EMTs, and they came in, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, there were... There were so many guys asleep. They, it took them five guys to get to the right one. But anyway, uh, it was tough. So time is going to come. And so look with me at the next couple of verses in verses 4 and 5. I'm sorry that just came to my head and it happens. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. What is he saying to us here? He's saying... Just be ready. Just be ready. It's going to come like a thief in the, in the night. It, and, and for Christians, we're not living in the darkness. Our eyes are wide open, Paul says. You know this. You know that today could be the day. Whether it's your day to leave this earth or Jesus' day to come back and get us. You live in the light, not in the darkness. You don't walk around with your head in the sand. Your eyes are wide open. Your focus is on Him. And daily you're looking to eternity. You understand that opportunities are soon going to be gone. And so you're living for the day. This is the day that we live. We live in a constant attitude of watching and waiting while we're busy working and witnessing. Fanny Crosby wrote the beautiful old hymn, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. And the last, the last verse of that hymn says, Perfect submission, all is at rest. 
I and my Savior am happy and blessed. But listen to this. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness and lost in His love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. That's a, the story of every Christian is supposed to be. So how do we have enduring hope? We have enduring hope when we know we're chosen by God. That He has invited us to call Him Father through Jesus Christ. We can have enduring hope when someone loves us through our growing pains. Aren't you glad for those people in an unconditional way? Like a mother loves her child. We can have unconditional love that when the storms beat against us, we're standing firm because we're standing on the rock that is Christ. And when our love excels more and more. And, you know, one of the proofs that we're growing in our faith in God is when we can love people that aren't really lovable to us. And then finally, when we keep our focus on Jesus because He is coming again and we're not in darkness. We're people who live in the light. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray this morning?